victories and we've had a few disasters and um, the hallmark of a, a great mate and he's my best mate is you, you just stand together through thick and thin and accepting each other's weirdnesses of which you both have many and our, our relationship is fueled by a shared love of prog rock, Monty Python humour and the very occasional real ale and um, during the whole of the time we've worked together we've never actually said anything complimentary about each other at all because that would be really weird. Um, but I'm actually going to break that today because it'll make you feel really uncomfortable. And I want to honour him as well. Um, uh, I'm grateful to God for Steve because he, he's me right and left hand man in everything I'm doing outside the church. And the stuff we managed to do, literally would not have managed to do unless he moved up to Chesley and, and helped me. Um, and he's the utter real deal. And that's why I invited him to speak today. 28 odd years in the Navy. And how many years at sea? Yeah, most of that time away from home serving and the whole of that time, apart from the odd moment probably, um, stuck to his faith in Christ in an incredibly tough environment. Um, and this is a calibre of the bloke, and I hope he's really squirming now. Good. This is a calibre... <laughs> I'm going go for longer because <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Uh, this is the calibre of the man. We were at a conference um, where Graham Kendrick was leading worship, a conference that Steve basically... I get an idea, and Steve makes it happen. <laughs> then I stand at the front, sort of like that. Anyway, we stress about it together. Um, Graham Kendrick was leading, and me and Steve had collaborated with Graham Kendrick for many years now, the, the worship leader. And um, Graham was talking about March for Jesus. And March for Jesus was something that affected millions of people, to the point now in Brazil it's a national holiday. Did you know that? March for Jesus is a national holiday in Brazil, and Graham Kendrick founded it. Um, what an incredible man. Anyway, Steve was talking, um, Graham, sorry, they look alike so I get confused. Graham was talking about this and he said it got March for Jesus in the 80s got so big, it was in every time zone around the world, apart from one time zone that was mostly sea. We didn't know what to do. He said then the Navy got in touch and a warship in the middle of that patch ran March for Jesus where they were parading up and down the warship, worshiping the Lord in front of all these like, tough sailors who are going, what are you doing? Marching for Jesus, sir! That kind of thing. So I thought it was brilliant. Anyway, Graham's telling this story, and out the back, because we always hide at the back, Steve shouts out, and I had no idea, that was me. I organised that. How amazing is that? On HMS Cumberland, was it? On HMS Cumberland, they did March for Jesus. That's the cut. Come on, I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? So that's, uh, that's the blade. So give him a welcome up. He's going to come and speak to us. Oh, your shipmate. Cheers, shippers. Morning. Uh, I've had that um, the last post in the valley played in many, many, many places over the years. Falkland Islands, look again out over San Carlos Water, various places all over. But it always, always gives goosebumps. Thanks, Nev. Amazing. Brilliant. Thanks, Nev. So, I joined the Navy in uh, 1979, served for 28 years. Um, I'm, I? Shut up. Back to normal now. Um, <laughs> I joined, I'm married to Helen, who's here, who is like the unsung, the wives of the unsung heroes of anybody in the military. And we'll be, we'll be talking a bit more about that in a bit. Um, we've, been married, we've been married for 32 years, most of that serving in the mob. 
Uh, that's a round of applause for Helen. Absolutely. <laughs> We've got two, two, two kids, Ben. Some of you might know Ben. Ben set up the food bank here in Chesterfield. Used to work for the Order of the Black Sheep here in Chesterfield. So uh, Ben is now working in Derby for a church in Derby. Um, and Ben plays bass in a thrash metal band called Bloodwork. It's good, isn't it? Our other son, Sam, plays the French horn in the Royal Marines Band. How on earth do you work that out? But they both married uh, wonderful Christian girls. Um, and obviously that is entirely down to Helen, because I just popped home for the occasional month in between trips at sea. We've been in Chesterfield for uh, six years now. Came up, as Carl said, to work with Beachy. Worst mis best mistake I ever made. Um, but I came up to work with Christian Vision for Men. Um, and uh, obviously the Navy is a massive male testosterone fueled place. So I got used to working with men. Obviously late women came to see later on in my career. I'll make no comment. Um, on that right now. No, it's great. Loved it. Uh, where is she? <laughs> She's giving me the evil eye. Um, but we've very quickly learnt that one of the culminating points for me about men and women being different was when we came back from a deployment and this quite crystallised the need for stuff uh, specific for men and for women. And we've been away for six months. My son Ben was born three weeks before we deployed. So we then cleared off for seven months, worked for me. And... Um, <laughs> And we were coming back into Devonport Dockyard, and so I'd been away, there was no email, no, none of that stuff, the odd letter, well, loads of letters and the odd phone call. And um, as we came around the corner into Plymouth, there's this great moment, those of you who've ever done this homecoming on a ship, it's unbelievable moment when you come, or anywhere from a homecoming, and you come, we come in, and there's all the families, friends on the jetty, all waiting, looking, looking, trying to find you on the ship. And you, there's that great moment when you make eye contact, and there's nothing like it, it's amazing. So I made eye contact with Helen, who's holding seven-month-old Ben, and I, being a bloke, looked at her and thought, blimey, her hair's turned grey since I've been away. That was my thought, that was my initial thought. And it was true. So I'm lifting my cap up, doing this with my hair, thinking, you get, your hair's gone grey. Helen, woman, total focus on the baby, thinking nothing else but Ben, thought, oh, he's noticed that Ben's hair colour is the same as his. So she is waving a seven-month-old baby above her head on the jetty, shouting, it's yours, it's yours. <laughs> Meaning the hair colour. The jetty, the jetty, honestly, went perceptibly silent. There's a woman waving a seven-month-old baby above her head, shouting, it's yours. Can we have that photo number one up, please, guys at the back? Is that possible? It's not a very good photo, but that's it. That's that, the moment after that. That's me and, uh, and little Ben um, uh, there. So I was a weapons engineer by, by trade. Um, I looked after main computer systems on board the ships. Um, providing information to the, the command, much like I do at CVM, where most of it was ignored, much like it is at CVM. Um, and we were there to provide the picture to the warfare team so they could fight and win. 
And there was a great phrase. Some of you who serve may have known this phrase. It's brilliant. I loved it. It came up and they said, we are here to bring violence to the enemy. What a great phrase. And I think that as, as the church, actually, that's part of our call, isn't it? To bring violence to the enemy. Not to sit back passively and let them bring violence to us. We've got to go out there and get engaged in the fight. Get engaged in warfare spiritual warfare and getting out there amongst it where it's all going on not sitting in our nice cozy churches we had good kit we had a great team but it was the people who did the fighting the kit was only as good as the blokes who were driving it um, and um, it's the same as here isn't it if we don't if we're not good at what we do if we're not into our into the word if we're not into the bible if we're not helping supporting each other doing our little bit within the church the same as would happen on that ship we would not be in the right place with the right kit to do the job that we've got to do um, to achieve the command aim. And the command aim for the church is to get out there and tell people about Jesus and bring him to him. That's the command aim. And, and the next photo shows some of these people, I hope. That's HMS uh, uh, Chatham, my last ship, Type 22 frigate, fine ships, wonderful vessels. Um, and there were 280 men and women on there who were prepared to go to sea and to make sacrifices, make sacrifices for what they believed in. We got paid for it as well, but that's by the by. But we did, we were prepared to go and make sacrifices. I spent a fair amount of time at sea, uh, a lot of it in the Gulf during the Iran-Iraq war years. That was fun, not convoys. We did a lot of convoy duties, taking ships through uh, the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, at one time we were tasked to go straight up to the top of the uh, top of the Gulf to up near Kuwait and bring back a tanker that had been hit in a missile strike. Um, we were sat off her port beam for, no sorry, her starboard beam for 20, 24 hours bringing her back down the Gulf and she was on fire. There was flame and smoke coming out of the hole at the front and we're sat there on this floating thing full of explosives 250 metres off her starboard beam thinking actually this isn't the best place to be sitting if she blows up. But that was the joys of uh, of, of the tanker war and here is us if you put the next one up please that's again they're not great photos but that's a tanker and that's us on the on hms beaver escorting uh, a tanker down through the gulf we were out there some of you who are older may remember uh when the americans on the, on the vincennes uh managed to get it slightly wrong and shot down a civilian Iranian airliner, uh, well we were sat right behind Vincennes, literally sat behind her as she loosed off the missile. And as you can imagine, when we found out the fallout of that, that that had hit and taken out a civilian airliner with 300 odd on board, it makes you think about what you're doing and the responsibility that we have as military people to do the right thing. And for us as Christians, we have a responsibility before God to do the right thing. To make sure that we get it right most of the time. We will foul up. Things will happen. Uh, a lot of my time was spent in the Cold War. Uh, the, you saw yesterday, fall of the Berlin Wall. Well, up to that point, we were doing a lot of Cold War stuff. Iceland Pharaoh's Gap for many, many, many months. And the weather conditions up there were interesting to put it mildly um, and uh, I think we've got one again have we got the next one yeah there's uh, that's not I have to say that is not my ship but that gives you and we did have conditions like that that's uh, actually a type uh, 23 I think facing 
a wall of water. Bit of a challenge. And us as Christians, as Carl mentioned earlier, life ain't easy. Life ain't easy. You may be facing that now. You may be facing that in your own lives. I don't, we don't know what's going on. But if you're facing that now, sure as eggs is eggs, it's going to hit you. But you will come through if you've got God. If you've made the right preparations for hitting that wall of water, you will come through. If the team are right behind you, we mentioned the team. If the team have got their preps right, everything's battened down on the upper deck. Doors are all fully secured for C-State 10. You will come through. You might sustain a bit of damage. You might get a dent in the gun house, as has happened. You might lose a lifeboat. You might lose a sea boat. But you will come through. And that's the same for us as we're facing challenges in life. If we've got our preps right, if we're immersed in God's word, if we're part of a team who are going to, they're going to support you when it all goes peak tong, you will come through. Thank you on that one. Former Yugoslavia, spent six months sat off the coast of um, Bosnia up there in, in, the, in the Adriatic. Uh, again, that was just tedious, to be honest, enforcing the no-fly zone. Um, been to the Falklands twice, once uh, in 1983. I'll come on to a little bit more of this in a minute, but 1983, just a year after the conflict, and then again in 2006. Three times been out to the West Indies. Now, that was tough, honestly. That was really tough. Three, three deployments out to the West Indies where we would visit an idyllic Caribbean island every single weekend. That was tough stuff. Thank you, those of you who were paying the taxes at that point. We did appreciate it very much. Um, but we were also out there to do stuff like Hurricane Relief. We did Hurricane Mitch, Hurricane George, drug smuggling ops. We weren't drug smuggling. We were doing ops against drug smugglers. Yeah. No, that's another dick. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing that one today. <laughs> uh, and then once, uh, laterally, we were doing a little bit of the uh, counter people trafficking operations in the Horn of Africa. So a lot of stuff. My final job on HMS Chatham, the one we saw just before with the lads and lasses, I was the executive warrant officer uh, on board. Basically, for those of you who don't know the Navy stuff, that was like the regimental sergeant major. So basically, I ran the ship for the captain on a day-to-day -day basis. So all the routines, and it was great, because whenever the, the principal warfare officer or whoever it was decided, not operations officer, decided not to put a church service in, by the time it came through my office and my thing, it was back in every single week. We would have church. <laughs> um, but I was EWO on Chatham uh, where out the Gulf when the Boxing Day tsunami hit, and uh, we were the first unit uh, tasked to go and offer support. Uh, in the wake of, of the tsunami and we spent three and a half weeks in uh, Sri Lanka, operating in Sri Lanka, uh, doing disaster relief. Amazing. So, that's a little bit of background um, of to my naval career. I became a Christian in 1979. I've been brought up in a Christian home. Mum and Dad had a, an amazing faith when we went to church every week. That's what we did. Um, Made nothing to me. Absolutely zero. I didn't believe it. It was just what we did. But in my first year in my naval career, um, I carried on going to church because that's what we did. Um, and I went to church and there was an organisation called Aggie Westerns, Royal Sailors Rests, who provided uh, home from home for sailors. That back then, literally, they were homes. They were um, accommodation centres and uh, rests, they called them, where we went and you could get 
get food and play pool and all that sort of stuff. Great places. And uh, I, went, I was there one Sunday night. We'd all been to church because that was the part of the deal. You went there for tea and then they took you off to church. They shut the rest. You went to church and then you came back and finished off anything that was left from the food. And I sat with a missioner, this guy called Ivor Henry. And he said to me, he said, do you know what, Steve? You ain't going to heaven on your mum and dad's faith. I was like, what? He said, you're not going to heaven on your mum and dad's faith. You need to make a personal decision for yourself. Ooh, not heard that before. And he then talked me through, we went through it, and I made a commitment to follow Jesus that night in 1979. And maybe some of you here who are in that position, you've always come to church, but you've never made that decision for yourself. Might be worth thinking about. There'll be opportunity later, I'm sure. But if you've never made that decision for yourself, it's what you've always done, maybe today's the day. We work very closely with the chaplaincy, um, and the chaplaincy, for good or bad, were there. They were the, the state of the, the face of the, the church uh, and the faith in, in the Navy. Some great chaplains, some maybe not so good, but generally uh, we worked alongside chaplaincy. I was a church officer at sea, so responsible for running all the ship services and all that stuff when there was no chaplain embarked. And as part of that, I was a member of the Naval Christian Fellowship, which was the Christian Union, basically, for us in the Navy and Royal Marines, the Fleet Auxiliary. And um, uh, when I left the Navy, I worked and ran the Naval Christian Fellowship for six years. Um, and uh, I'm not sure, if, what, have we got the next photo? I think it's, yeah, right. I don't know if you can make that out, but that is a bloke in clerical robes hanging off the end of a winch wire, suspended over the sea. Chaplaincy were great and they were up for it. This was a bloke called Mike Brotherton, Mad Mike as he was known. The Mad Bish. And uh, we decided that we were gonna, during, back in the 80s during Feed the World and all that stuff, they did a thing called Run the World. And we decided it'd be a good idea if we all ran around the ship for like 24 hours everywhere. So we were doing that and we filmed it, sent it back to the BBC. But we thought it'd be a good idea to get the, someone in the mess over a, a cup of tea or something like that. It was definitely an amber liquid. Um, decided that we were going to get the. We, why don't we stick get the chaplain running on the water? So, so we got hold of the chaplain, who thankfully was the mad bish. Stuck him on the end of the winch wire, dropped him out the bottom of the helicopter. And he ran across the water, going very slowly, right, this, running across. Until they, they, they got all the filming, we'd got all the footage we need, and they decided it'd be a good idea, the Lynx pilot decided it'd be a good idea to accelerate a bit. So by the end, honestly, I haven't got, this is the only photo I've got, by the end of this, Mike Brotherton's like this. Clerical <laughs> robes over his head, flying along at 70 knots, virtually horizontal on the winch wire underneath the ship. You had to have a sense of humour. But it's, as Carl alluded to, it's not an easy place. It was not an easy place to live as a Christian, as you can imagine. Uh, your front room is a bar. There's porn on the TV, and there's incredible peer pressure, and you had to be real. There's no hiding your faith. You couldn't be a closet Christian and get away with it, because or your faith would just die if you tried to do that. Um, there was no midweek fellowship groups. There was no dial a prayer line. You were on your own. Uh, literally, um, I spent many deployments as the only practicing Christian on board the ship. 
but there's those great moments in there when you something goes wrong and you fall off the pedestal. I don't know if you're like that at work or wherever you are, and something happens and you're off the pedestal. Not that you put yourself on as a Christian, but what they expect of you. And they expect certain behaviours from Christians. They expect you never to get anything wrong. And uh, there are several occasions, but the, the one that sticks in my mind is going back to those uh, uh, conf- convoys that we were doing in the Gulf. The first one we ever took through the Straits of Four Moose on HMS Beaver, we, um, we were forming up about, I don't know, 12, 14 merchant ships, two, uh, two warships to take this convoy through the Straits of Four Moose through the silkworm envelopes um, around the bottom. And um, we, uh, we were all ready to go and just starting to move off. And on the Type 22s, our main anti-missile system is a thing called Seawolf. And Seawolf um, was great, it was a good system, um, and, but the con- it was controlled by a console, which I was responsible for maintaining. And we were at action stations, and um, the, the, the thing came over to broadcast, Chief Martin, ops room, at the rush. At the rush means, you've got, obviously, you need to be there five minutes ago. Uh, you don't know what it is, you just got to get there. So I legged it up the ladder into the ops room to see the Seawolf controllers console dead. Absolutely nothing on it. And everyone looking at me going, what are you going to do about it, Chief? So I, uh, obviously, I vaguely knew what I was doing. So I pulled open this drawer at the bottom. Uh, this lot of this won't mean anything, but it is important. Um, put my, as I put my hand in to poke my head underneath to look up for an indicator light, I, um, I thought, we've had a lot of condensation in this console recently. I wonder if there's any water in this bottom drawer. And then my other side of my brain was going, did we ever remove the 440 volt power supply cables that were dangling down when we removed the battery support units? At which point my hand hit the water, which had 440 in it, and threw me back across the operations room, straight into the captain's chair. Thankfully it threw me off and not on. Threw me off, straight back in the captain's chair. As I came to, I mumbled something like, oh, duck it, something like that. (laughs) At which point, at which point, the cat eye looks up and the skipper's looking over his chair. Arthur in Dornring looked down and he said, Was that Chief Petty Officer Martin? I said, Yes, it ducking well was, sir. At which point, the ops room goes completely quiet and they're like, Blimey, he swears. He's a Christian, he shouldn't do that. And then we had some amazing conversations. I don't know if you've had that, but you pick it up from there. You don't go, Oh, no, I'm not like that. That is who I am. That is real. I'm a normal bloke struggling with stuff the same as you are. And when I get a 440 belt, I don't go, ooh, that was nice. (laughs) Right, I'm going to read something from the Bible. Sorry, am I allowed to do that? Yeah. All right, just checking. Every week. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to break tradition, shit, mate. Stop watching still on zero. (laughs) Okay, this is from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, and it says this. Good friend, don't forget all I've taught you. Take to heart my commands. They'll help you live a long, long time. A long life lived full and well. Don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. Tie them around your neck. Carve their initials on your heart. Earn a reputation for living well. In God's eyes and the eyes of the people, we've just touched on that. Earn a reputation. Have you got a reputation where you are for living well or for living badly? Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. It's the team stuff again, isn't it? Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. 
everything, not just the bits that you do around church. Listen for God's voice in everything. He is the one who will keep you on track. Only him. Carl can't even do that. No one. Only him. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Those words have journeyed with me for all my naval career. It was actually one of those, the verses, are uh, the Naval Christian Fellowship's verses. But it starts with don't forget. Don't forget. Remember. So on this Remembrance Sunday, who are you remembering? Who are you thinking about? Carl mentioned Karen's granddad. But for me, there's a few. I'm remembering Ian. We met in year one of my time in the Navy. Uh, and Ian was a young apprentice. Can we pop the next photo up, please? Here he is. Ian died on the 25th of May, 1982, when HMS Coventry was bombed and sunk in the Falklands. Ian was just 21. He was six months ahead of me in my naval career. Therefore, he was still at sea. I'd come back. I finished my sea training, and I was back at HMS Collingwood. Ian is still on patrol, as we say. I've twice been, as I said, to the Falklands, once in 83 and once in 2006. Both times we laid wreaths over the wreck of the Coventry. Both times we had the last post paid. Both times I cried. And there was guilt. There was survivor guilt even for me, even though I wasn't on the ship that my mate Ian had died. So today, I'm going to be remembering Ian. Maybe you remember a grandfather, a great uncle, First World War, Second World War. Maybe you know someone from Korea or dozens of others, conflicts over the years. Iraq, Ireland, Afghanistan. Some of those controversial in nature. Yet, men and women sacrificed and died in those conflicts. Maybe you know them. Who are you remembering this morning? Maybe you don't know anyone personally who's died. Maybe you have friends who've served though and are suffering with PTSD. Go to the next photo, please. Again, not very clear, but that's Prince Harry in the middle. And to Prince Harry's left, to your right as you look at it, is a young lady called Faith. Faith Fordham was a Royal Naval medic. Uh, she was in our house group. She was a member of NCF. We knew Faith well. Um, she was serving out in Afghanistan as a medic with a Royal, a Royal Marine detachment. And um, that detachment was caught up in an IED explosion, improvised explosive device. Faith was the medic on the ground. She was probably, what, 20 at the time, Helen, if that? Um, and despite her best efforts, uh, two Royal Marines died in her care, effectively. They died before, um, the, before the Kazivaki aircraft arrived. And Faith was racked with guilt and suffers from PTSD. However, on the 2nd of April this year, this year, she wrote this. Ten years ago today, I came home from a place that changed my life forever. I wish every day 
I could go back and change what happened. But that will never be possible. Now, life is about focusing on the future, but also never forgetting the sacrifice my lads paid. I miss them every day. And to me, faith has summed up remembrance there. Life is about focusing on the future, but also never forgetting the sacrifice my lads paid. And then this last Monday, she wrote, so that was 10 years ago, this Monday she wrote, sometimes all we need is a little reminder that there is a greater plan for us. Even if we don't know what it is right now, God will provide. And then she quotes Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Who are you remembering? Are we remembering Ian and Faith? But of course, it's not only we touched on wives and children. Amazing sacrifices that are made. Widows, children. I don't know if you watched last night, but you can't really not have a tear when the war widows come past. Amazing sacrifice that these guys and girls have made. It may be a member of the church here. It may be the old fellow nursing a pint in the pub. It may be a doctor in your GP surgery who served in Afghan. Hundreds and hundreds of them went out there. Civilian medics now back in the NHS. It may be the homeless guy selling a big issue in town whose, uh, whose patrol got blown up in Afghan and he's got survivor guilt. We don't know who it is around you. But we need to remember. And we, as we know, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but stats on hope on veterans on our street is horrendous but it's not only the military is it the policeman who suffers flashbacks to a murder scene the paramedic who attended an rta and saw some horrendous stuff grenfell's been in the news the firemen there forget the political nonsense they saw stuff they sacrificed stuff for us on a daily basis it's not just the military who we need to remember as we go forward. And I recently found out that Rick Jones, who a guy who I joined up with, transferred to the Royal Marine Band and was killed in the bombing at Deal. So who are you remembering today? It's all very well, you'll say. Uh, he served 28 years, he knows people. How do we remember those we've never met or never knew? Uh, in 1989, HMS Brilliant was serving in the Gulf during the Iran Iraq war again, and um, she was heading into Mombasa for a two week R&R, uh, rundown period. And the day before she was due in, and there were families sat in Mombasa waiting for her to come alongside, her Lynx helicopter was involved in a crash just south of Mombasa, and nine members of the ship's company were killed in that aircraft crash. Over the years, I visited the memorial there three times. Uh, there's a, uh, there was a stone memorial with a plaque put on the beach uh, in a very windswept, barren place. And eventually they took the plaque off the, off, off the memorial, moved it to the Siemens Mission, where I think it still is in Mombasa. I didn't know any of those nine. So why would I be involved in a service on a remote beach in East Africa? Why do you need to remember? To say, firstly, to say thank you. They'd not died in conflict, but they'd served 
their country in the RN. And they were prepared for whatever was thrown at them. And for me, that warrants saying thank you for. Some may not agree, but I believe that in itself warrants saying thank you for. And secondly, it helped me. And I think remembering helps us all. I didn't know them. I acknowledged their sacrifice and willing to give for a greater cause. And it focused my mind, as it should focus all our minds, on our attitude towards others. I had signed on the dotted line, the same as those nine. But was I actually prepared for what that meant? In times of war and conflict, it comes into sharper focus. But no one ever went away on a six-month deployment to the West Indies thinking you weren't coming back. Just didn't think it was going to happen. But was I ready to accept that it might? And those times on that windswept beach in, the, in, the, in, the, in East Africa helped me to realise that I was prepared for that. I was prepared to make that sacrifice. The answer was yes. But as we remember, we must also learn from the past. And I think that's so important for us. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything you're on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Run to God. Run from evil. It doesn't say take half a step away from evil. Have a glance over your shoulder, look back at the evil and think, oh, it's not too bad. I'm going to go back. Or I'm not actually going to move that far away from it. Evil, read temptation, whatever it may be. You've got to run from it, got to leg it. But not just leg it randomly in any old direction, because that can make it even worse. You've got to run to the arms of a God who loves you and cares for you. As we remember, we must learn and move forward. Move forward to a God who loves us. And Jesus made that ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. He died on that cross for you, for me, for Ian, for Faith, for all those who've been before, whether they knew him or not. And sadly, I don't think they did, but that's up to between him and God them and God. Was he prepared for that? Was God, Jesus, prepared for that when he came to earth as a man? Was he prepared to make that sacrifice? I'd say that he did know what lay ahead of him. He knew what he was coming here to do. But he had his moments of, I'm not really sure about this. Is there another way? And I know all of us in the military have had those moments. I'm not really sure I want to go away on this third deployment in two years and leave my family again for another seven months. I'm not sure I'm up for that sacrifice. But we have to go and do it because we signed on the dotted line. And Jesus knew what he'd signed, signed up for. He'd signed up so that each one of us could spend eternity with him. And he had to turn from the temptation of evil and embrace what lay ahead. Just like all those di who've died in the service of their country. 
They had to turn from the, the, the life that they knew. And to embrace and continue that life for others, had to embrace what lay ahead, whatever that may mean for them. So, on this Remembrance Sunday, as we reflect and remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice for others in war and in peace, let's not only think about them and say thanks, but reflect on what that means for us as individuals and particularly as Christians. What causes will we be prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice for? Those of us who are Christians and have signed on the dotted line are called to follow Jesus and imitate him. How far are you prepared to go to fulfill the commitment that you have made to him? What are you and I prepared to sacrifice in order not just to remember his sacrifice, not just to remember it, which we do week by week, uh, particularly in the act of communion, but, and say thank you, which we're pretty good at. We're actually pretty good at coming to church on a Sunday as Christians and saying, thank you, that's great. But are we prepared to add, come what may? For, for us, as we served at sea, as we served away, it was all right in the nice Caribbean deployments, a nice idyllic Caribbean island. But when you sat off the gun line, firing stuff in, threat of incoming, that's when it comes down to the, the crunch. And that's the same for us. As a Christian, what are you prepared for tomorrow morning? Been here and said thank you today. But if you're not a Christian, you probably haven't got a clue what I'm waffling on about. If that's the case, we can sort that out this morning, or you can sort that out this morning. If you want to know this Jesus who sacrificed everything for you, and you want to be able to remember what he's done and move forward and make a difference, just as men and women have down through the centuries, make a difference for peace in this world, make a stand. And if you don't know that peace, and that's where Carl started with that reading from Philippians, if you don't know that peace deep in your heart, go for it this morning.